0: That's great fun. We're going to be opening the Word of God now to Philippians chapter 2. You can follow as I read our text. We're talking about growing in Christ, and we're going to look at a couple of Paul's premier examples to us of people who were growing back then in the church and who can model this growth to us. Timothy and Epaphroditus, as I read verses 19 through 30 of Philippians chapter 2. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but also on me, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy, and honor such men. For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. This week, uh, some of you know, but perhaps some of you don't. I was able to go to a conference um, and sort of slip away in the stream of this year, and um, I had an incredible. Experience. I've been to conferences over the years, Christian conferences. This was a conference at the Masters College with uh, alumni and former students and, and present students, and then other people who come and fill out the conference. About 1,200 people gather and worship God. And the conference was called Truth and Life, and it was highlighting the Scripture, the Word of God, and its truthfulness and power. And keynote speakers, John MacArthur, and a gentleman named uh, Mark Dever, who is the pastor of Capitol Hill Baptist Church in D.C. We use his book, Nine Marks, here in our training of church and church life. Also, Dr. Clint Sinclair Ferguson. Who is a man in his sixties and is a statesman and theologian and from Scotland, so he has an incredible Scottish brogue. But just you know, so you just want to hear him recite names from the phone book, and that'll be fine. But just a profound theologian and and great handling of Scripture, and he he was on display um, this week as he put Christ and God's Word on display. It was great, and it was refreshing to my soul, and the worship was great. But perhaps more importantly. Then, just being around those men was to be around relationships that I had um, established some 18 years ago. And I was employed at the Master's College from 94 to 98, and so age 22 to 26, I received great discipleship input through those years as a young man. And part of those years as a single young man. And that was my seminary years, and yet I worked at the college and was able to re-engage with those relationships on a heart-to-heart level. That was, because of those relationships, I got kind of a backstage pass where I was able to sit at a lunch with Dever and MacArthur and Sinclair Ferguson, and because I was single there at the conference by by myself, I was able to sort of navigate through and be freed up and um, flexible to see people, people from here that were there, and and to meet with people. It was also highlighting the word of God in a way that was uh, tangible and practical. They were talking about Reformation history. And they brought in a company that, that is sort of a trust where they have Bibles that, that go back half of a millennia to the 1500s. That were on display for you to touch, handle, and, and actually engage. It was amazing. Bibles that, you know, 100 years after the Gutenberg Press was invented, they were they were pressed and put into print in the English language and so we were celebrating the accessibility of the word of god to christians and how the common man the plowman was able to have their own copy of the word of god in their own language and these bibles were intact i mean they were they were right there and we were able to handle them with care and and There were even stories surrounding these particular Bibles, the Geneva Bible or the Matthew Bible or an actual 1611 King James Version Bible. It was there to to handle. And and there were pictures and images that were pressed on these pages of martyrs who were contemporaries to these Bibles who died to preserve them. Even one man who who was talked about, who actually... um, confiscated confiscated the Bible and he was able to, to sort of handle it and guard it in a way where John Calvin had handed him the Bibles so that he could guard them as John was brought away and then later he was martyred for doing that but the word of God and its accessibility was advanced through that time period so when you think about martyrs blood stains on the pages of scripture those were those kinds of Bibles so it just it elevated my my love and um, commitment to God's word and and the preciousness of handling it and its life-giving power but perhaps more important than all of that again was the personal one-on-one time I had with people that were there and the people who are leading the master's college now even the acting president and Vice President, um, there were friends of mine on a more peer level when I was in my 20s, and so they're still there. So a lot of people that I've known for a while were there. And so I was able to go and meet with people face-to-face, one-on-one, and just talk about my heart here, their hearts there, and the connectivity that you can experience in Christ, in that kind of relationship. You can't buy that kind of experience It's the Paul, Timothy, gospel-oriented, spiritual, life-on-life connection that God gives to Christians as a gift, that people who are outside of Christ cannot know the richness and depth of that kind of connecting. And you know it if you have that kind of relationship with someone. They're rare, they're few and far between, but I got to go up to the table of relationships in a way that... I feasted well, and it it encouraged me to, to come away from Anchorage Grace Church and look backwards at it from a distance. In the context of those relationships, it drew me back here where I wanted to run again at full speed because the Lord is working, and he's maturing this place, and my descriptions of here to them there whether it was a seminary professor i sat with or a friend or someone who had mentored me or a pastor at grace church when i when i spoke of my experiences here it was invigorating it was encouraging it's like when you're a relative who sees children every six months and you you see the growth but when you're in the middle of it it's hard to get it and see it but from a distance god is at work in this place there's something vital That's happening here and and it was fun to enjoy it and celebrate it with those people and relationships there, men and women. It was just a a precious time to re-engage with people. When you engage with somebody like that, it's as if you've left your imprint on their life. And when you talk to people that you love like that, isn't it like looking into a mirror where you see some of yourself in that person and they see some of you? Of them in you, and it's it's precious. That's the effect that Paul has with Timothy and with Epaphroditus. These men shared Paul's heart. He had left his indelible impression on them, and he had the deepest respect for these men. And what we're going to find here over the next couple of weeks, as we study Timothy and then next week Epaphroditus, is that these men become cameo portraits of what it looks like to grow, what it looks like to grow in the gospel. Remember last couple weeks we've been talking about verse 12 of chapter 2, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling for it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Remember we talking about that, the sanctification, the Christian grows in the Christian life. Well that is a Difficult thing to think through sometimes because we know where we are and where we aren't right And so it can become intimidating to think man. I need to grow. I need to exercise spiritual discipline I need my heart to engage in the church and in the gospel I need to care about the gospel and the advancement of the church. But What does that look like? Paul at this point shows us he shows us through two men his best examples what it looks like to grow in the Christian faith. His best friends. Timothy is probably his best friend in the gospel and is the one that God is most vitally using as an example of growth from Paul's ministry to his friend Timothy. And so we're not putting man on display, but Paul is putting Timothy and Epaphroditus forward to the church to say listen if you want to know what it looks like to grow in your salvation to work out your salvation in fear and trembling this is what it looks like and by the way both Timothy and Epaphroditus they're not apostles so they didn't do miracles they didn't hear direct revelation they're just normal Christians so this is a window actually into normal radical risk-taking front lines in the battle Christian growth and Christian living this is how you're supposed to think this is how you're supposed to live this is the kind of gospel effects that happen in the life of a gospel growing Christian so let's look at Timothy first of all Timothy verse 19 Paul says he's writing to the Philippian church from house arrest chained to a guard he says I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon let's stop there He's trusting in the Lord. He realizes that this is a unique decision to send his best friend, who is sort of his life support, his point of encouragement. He's trusting in God to send him to them. He's hoping in the Lord, his dearest relationship. This is his son in the faith. This is his protege. This is his very own heart. And remember, execution was a probability or a possibility for Paul and so he's weighing this decision very carefully but at the same time he is sacrificially giving himself by giving the best thing that he possibly could give if you're taking notes the outline header two of Paul's best examples of what growing Christians look like are Timothy and Epaphroditus we're starting with Timothy and he possessed He's a man who possessed the reputation of being selfless. This is the best Paul could offer. Again, protege, a son of the faith. We don't know if Paul led this man to Christ, but we for sure know that Paul adopted him as a son. He only spoke of con- people that he had led to Christ, his converts, in that kind of familial or parent-like language. He's a son. He's part of my heart. I mean, Timothy was a single man, but he adopted people in the faith, and he most intimately adopted Timothy as his son. Paul probably, uh, you know, a late-aged man, maybe in his uh, 60s or middle, upper 60s, and then Timothy in his young 30s. He's loving this man as his very son. Probably had contact with him on his first missionary journey. then as Acts 16 says, as he came back through a second time coming through Lystra on his second missionary journey, he heard by reputation in Lystra that the brothers or the brethren spoke highly of this disciple. You could find that in Acts 16, 1 through 3. This was a man, Timothy, who had been raised by his mother and grandmother in the faith. That's 2 Timothy 1. And then 2 Timothy 3.15 says that they, from infancy, discipled him or taught him the sacred scriptures which were able to make him wise to salvation. That's 2 Timothy 3.15. Talking about the power of the scripture. So we don't know if it was through that discipleship ministry of the grandmother and mother. The father, Acts 16, says the father of Timothy was a Greek, so he was probably an unbeliever, but these godly women invested in this child, and he knew the scriptures. And perhaps Paul just reaped the harvest the first time through on the missionary journey, but the second time through showed that this man had grown. He had a reputation of godliness, so much so that Paul said, I'm adopting you, and I'm taking you on the field with me. Timothy became an emissary for Paul. He had vital ministries to the church at Corinth. You can read about that. And the church at Thessalonica where where Timothy would go as a front runner for Paul and would bring Paul's letters and bring correction and bring pastoral ministry and vitality to churches where Paul then would follow on. But it was all Paul's heart going through a man who was very contented to play second fiddle, to play the servant leader, to come by behind the scenes this was this kind of man we don't have anything written down from Timothy in scripture so it's hard to fully know his personality but we have a lot of scripture that speaks of Timothy's reputation we don't hear from him but we hear a lot about him and so we infer things from scripture to learn about and be affected by this man A man for whom Paul ultimately in 2 Timothy 4 would hand the baton of leadership to and say, listen, young man, stir up the spiritual gift within you, guard the trust, guard the gospel, be faithful, continue, 2 Timothy 2, 2, to spread the invisible advancement of the kingdom of God through making disciples, raise up elders, spearhead church movement. He was entrusted with a great deal. And ultimately, as Paul wrote his last will and testament in 2 Timothy 4, fought the good fight, finished the race, kept the faith. He was giving or bequeathing the ministry leadership mantle to this man, Timothy. Paul loved Timothy, and he sent two men. It was a two-man send, to Epaphroditus to bring the letter back to Philippi that Paul had written. Obviously, that mission was accomplished. He wanted to protect Epaphroditus because he kind of had come for a short while to minister to Paul and meet his neighbor. We're going to learn about that next week. But, But Paul wanted to affirm Epaphroditus as a godly man and send him back. And then he wanted to send Timothy ahead because there was enough going on at the church of Philippi that was dangerous to the church that Paul needed to get his heart there quickly. You couldn't email it. You couldn't Facebook it. You couldn't use FaceTime. You you couldn't pick up a telephone. You couldn't get there except by sending a person. And a lot of times we hear, if you can't, you know, if you want something done right, do it yourself. Well, not in the Christian world. For us in Christ, we can send ourselves through people. You raise people up. You invest in a heart. You invest in a mind. And that person can go for you with the gospel. That's what Paul is contemplating, but it's a tough give. It's a tough send for Paul because he's chained up. Now, he's freed up under house arrest. He can move around, minister, talk to people, but he's still chained to a Roman guard, probably day and night. And so it's a tough situation for him. He's got to go before Caesar and put his life on the line, and he could die. And so he wants to do this carefully and right, look Look at the emotion. He's saying, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you. He's hoping, he's praying about this. He's trusting that the will of God will be opened up to him in this. And guess what? This is a picture of what a Christian is like as a giver. We're going to talk about Timothy and Epaphroditus, but inadvertently or... Behind the scenes, we have a third personality and person who is working out of salvation with fear and trembling, and that is Paul. We see Paul's heart here to give. His best friend? It's a tough thing, but guess what? God the Father modeled this perfectly for Paul because he, Philippians 5, 2, verses 5 through 11 is the gospel, and that is about Jesus Christ being given to us. God the Father sent his son And so, Paul, in concert with that, is saying, I now need to send my spiritual son to help a church. That's what's going on. And he's trusting God's will in that process, making it, trying to understand and clarify God's will through this process. God the Father sent his son willingly, but he did so according to God's will which is kind of a mysterious thing to think about, but God's will and plan was for Jesus to be sent to die for the world. That was his plan. Peter said as much in his sermon at Pentecost in Acts 2. He said, This Jesus confronting the Jews delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. So... God followed God's will to send his son, and Paul here, in like manner, in flesh and blood, in a risky way, was saying, I'm going to send my most comforting relationship away, but I'm trusting Christ or God's will to do that. That's the dynamic of what's going on in Paul's heart. But it's not only to send him to them for encouragement, he's sending Timothy to them so that Timothy can come back to him and encourage him back. Sometimes you send people away so they can encourage you back. And that's what he's saying. He's saying in verse 19, I want to send Timothy to you soon, quickly, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. Cheered means to be filled with courage. I want to be encouraged. I want to be strengthened as I'm on the front lines here in Rome in a dangerous spot, and I wanted him to come back. And he was very optimistic that Timothy could do the job, could pastor the people, could confront the issues, could navigate through the difficult spiritual dynamics at the church, and could get to the heart of the people in such a way that would be powerful, effective, and then an encouragement back to him. That's what's going on. When I was walking around, um, just to take us back to the conference of this week, I, I felt that I was led by God to strike up certain conversations I went back from the college down to um, the church Grace Community Church where MacArthur John MacArthur preaches and I went there to the bookstore um, to grab a quick book but the people who were checking me out um, these two gals started to talk to me about where I pastor in Anchorage and they knew the Rehapels who we support here and Rob Rehapel is a is an elder um on our elder board and they knew their children so we started to talk about a couple of their daughters who babysit my kids I mean just striking up familiar relationship conversation that's a joy but they said hey you know there's somebody that knows all about your church and, and knows you and um, knows about things and she's right over here she's the receptionist around the corner and I was intending to go up and meet some of the with some of the people upstairs and you kind of got to meet the receptionist and it was Holly Cop. some of you guys know Holly Cop. I mean she knows all of you I mean, we just started to talk through all the names, you know, the Davises, the Carlbergs, the Pauls, the Richardsons. She said, you know, when you first came, did you stay in the stump house? Because I think I I helped Sarah Richardson keep your kids. And so we're just talking, you know, Alaskan and here and local church and start to flip through my phone and I took videos of the church and some of the painting that we've done and even you know a, a service that we had from from the back a little video and I'm showing her and it wasn't you know the old like oh great you know I'm I'm drooling in my mouth moment because you know I'm having to watch home videos no it was the opposite of that she loved it. She hadn't been to the church in six years, and she was saying, wow, the church is growing, and I, I sense vitality there, and she's been growing herself. She was a cross-country runner here, and then a cross-country runner there at Masters, and, uh, and then got married. She said, I got my MRS degree, so I'm sort of out of college right now, but um, it's a joke. But all that to say, she's happy, and growing, and loving Christ, and even though I'd never met her before because of the cross-pollination of relationships and friendships and the joy of, of mission, we, we both want the same thing. It's just exciting. That was one of my favorite parts of going there was just meeting Holly Cop. It's great. And when she and her husband come and fellowship with us here sometime, um, that'll be a joy for all of us. But whatever investment you've had in her life is being made, there at that church you want to reach the world make disciples i mean teachers you gave her input coaches family of god you participated not just in wow that was a fun conversation but who is she discipling there because she has a ministry and she is a face and if you down there of joy and if you know her she just sort of radiates christ and so It's an important ministry. I showed her footage of the parking lot out here and she started longing for Alaska. Oh, it's Alaska. Oh, I want to be there. It's exciting. Paul was not a detached Buddhist. He was not an isolationist. He was not fleeing people. He was not someone who was this sort of strange, wandering Christian. No, he lived for people. He lived for vital relationships and loved Timothy and loved that church so much that he was saying, they need my friend. They need him right now. Well, Timothy was a man who was the best Paul could offer, verse 19, and Timothy was a man who carried Paul's heart to others. Look at verse 20 says, I have, for I have no one like him. Think about that. I have no one like him. Timothy was a one of a kind. Paul had led a lot of people to Christ in Rome. The message was getting out. His gospel ministry, shut up in a house, was very, very effective. It wasn't a, a sort of getting everybody under one, one roof sort of mega church growth idea it was a philosophy of ministry that was more behind the scenes and it was the invisible advancement of the kingdom of God that was happening through the providence of God you can't script church growth by hey I'm going to get chained in prison and that's how God's going to explode the gospel around Rome but that's what was happening and he had a lot of people who were one to Christ and so the church at Rome was growing for the first time it was happening but there's a sense of rebuke here a gentle rebuke but An indictment, nevertheless, that Timothy was the one who was qualified. There's nobody else like him. There's nobody else qualified to go for me that's like this man. He speaks of verse 21 of these people. He says, "...for they all seek their own interests." I mean, perhaps he had talked to some of the men who would have been the ones who would be sent to Philippi. I mean, he could have sent a woman like Phoebe, but, you know, perhaps he was talking more to the praetorian guard that he had led to Christ. At the end of the the book of Philippians um, 4.21, he says, Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. He's sending greetings from this church. He says, The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. So there was a group within a group. There was the Praetorian Guard. There were those who were one to Christ in Caesar's household through Paul being there. But nobody was qualified to go except Timothy. I have no one like him. He was a one of a kind. Why? Well, Because Timothy, he drank in everything that Paul gave him. He was open. In Luke chapter 6, verse 40, Jesus put it this way: He said, After a disciple, which that Matthew 2.0 word means learner, after a disciple is fully trained, he will be like his teacher. You're like people that invest in you. When you open your heart up and receive their spiritual ministry to you, you become like that person. And that's what Timothy had done with Paul and again this is the early beginnings of Rome so the expectation perhaps isn't so high for these Roman Christians but there is a gentle indictment and rebuke that Timothy was the only one who was qualified to go and this qualification is a heart qualification look at verse 20 who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare Timothy was qualified because he carried Paul's heart and he was others-centered. He was others-centered. He was a man who loved what was going on with other people's spiritual growth. It's quite an example. You know, we can grow in many ways as Christians, but if we don't grow in terms of caring for other people, we're not really growing at all. Your eyes, as you grow, t- come more and more off yourself and circumstances and are put more and more on the glory of Christ. And then from that, you mirror effect down from the glory of Christ to wanting the glory of Christ to be formed in other people. That's how the Bible describes Christians that grow. You're, con- you're consumed with other people, even to the point where you're, you're anxious for their growth genuinely concerned that word concerned is anxiety you say doesn't paul sort of put a block on being anxious in philippians 4 he says be anxious for nothing well be anxious for nothing in the sense of self-consumption don't think about yourself you know self-consumed anxiety will eat you alive as you know worrying but when you have an others focused heart where you want other people to grow, that's a godly attribute. And that's the attribute of Timothy. He was genuinely, authentically, on a heart level, concerned that other people would grow. I had the joy of, again, reflecting back to the conference after the first session at the Master's College. Three young adults came up to me, and they were the three of the eight children of one of my mentors, um, the senior pastor at the Bible Church of Little Rock, where I was for 11 years, where Judy and I were. And three of their kids came up to me because they're college kids. And they were just beaming, smiling, happy. It wasn't just that they were happy to see me, there's a difference. They had countenances that were raised, and you just, it was obvious. They loved Jesus. I was their children's pastor. When I showed up as a 26-year-old, the two women that were standing in front of me, I remember them being six years old and them both reaching up and grabbing my hand to, to lead me into the restaurant. We sowed seed in their hearts. We participated, Judy and I did, in their growth. Little Logan, who my son is named after, is this adult who plays college basketball there, and he loves Christ. He loves his sisters. Is there anything better than that? To, to participate somehow in investing in the lives of people and then watching them grow? And they came through some tough times, and they're growing. That's the joy of a Christian's heart. Paul had that anxiety for all the churches. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty nine. he had anxiety for all the churches. That's a good kind of Anxiety. You know, being a person that's a people person is Christian. You should be going after people. You should. You say, I'm too busy. you got to change your life. I like isolation. I moved to Anchorage to get away from people. I moved to Alaska to get out. Well, guess what? God is moving you back into the lives of people. That's the will of God from the Word of God. There's no way around it. If you want to be happy as a Christian, invite people to church. If you want to be happy as a Christian, become a member at the church. Become engaged at the church. Here, locally. I'm biased towards this church. There are great other churches around. You know, if the Lord leads you somewhere else to be fully engaged, then God bless that. But otherwise, engage fully. Grow so that other people will grow. Go after people with the gospel and with edifying them in the Lord. Invest, and you won't be saddened by your investment. God promises a return on that investment in joy and in fulfillment. He does. That's Christianity. Again, Timothy is a normal Christian. This is a normal flesh and blood, shoe leather example of what it looks like to live for Christ. You have concern for other people. Look at verse 21, Timothy had the interest of Jesus Christ. You're supposed to have the interests of Christ. Look at this in verse 21. For they all seek their own interest, not those of Jesus Christ. Again, Paul's talking about his new converts, the early church at Rome. And he's saying, listen, by contrast, Timothy has the interest of Christ. What's the interest of Christ? Well, it's to be concerned for this church. He, he's promoting Timothy's other, other-centeredness. You know, a lot of people will say, well, the interests of Christ are to be like Christ who is sort of this wandering Gandhi philanthropic do-gooder who's blessing people with great moral wisdom. And that's what it means to, like, share Christ's interest. He cares about the poor and needy and things. And that's true in, in the sense of caring for the poor and needy. But this sort of beat-nick, you know, dressed-down version of Jesus is not what the Bible's talking about. By contrast, Jesus is not some ethereal energy in the sky where you're looking to be zapped by him in some kind of gnostic experience where you're brought into some other dimension and that's experiencing Christ or having his interest. No. The Christ we serve is the exalted, risen, King of kings, Lord of lords, the God-man who is reigning and ruling creator of the universe, the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last, who was and is and is to come. He's the conquering King of kings and Lord of lords who's incomprehensibly rich, wide, powerful, and huge and massive, and we serve him in a practical way, which is what? Well... Where does the Bible talk about interest in this chapter? Well, Philippians 2, it says, verse 3, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, of, in humility, some translations, in humility of mind, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Here's that word, interest. And so what does it look like practically? Well, it looks like investing in the lives of people in the church. Christ died for the church. He's interested in the church. He's interested in this church. He's interested back then at the church at Philippi. He's interested in the Christians who are there now in Philippi. He's interested in his church. He is so if you want to be interested in what Christ is interested in, then you have to invest in a other-centered way in the lives of people at the church. Timothy got that. He's ready to go. Ready to invest. And he was unique because of that. He was an example to the church. In 1 Timothy 4, Paul said, "Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech and conduct and love and faith and in purity." 1 Timothy 4:12. He was an example of this. He carried Paul's heart in an other-centered way, in a way that he could pastor a church that Paul loved, and because Paul loved that church, and because Jesus loves that church, Timothy loved that church, and he was ready to invest in that church. That's Christianity. It is. You want people to get into the church, and you want the church to grow. And it comes through personal investment. It's going to people with the interest of Christ. It's a triangular concern. It's where you care about your own growth, you care about others, and you care about Christ. This is the interest of Christ. We know that we're supposed to have the mind of Christ in um, Philippians 2, 15, have this mind among yourselves, which is gospel, self-sacrificial living that comes from a mindset that is promoted, and prompted by the gospel, which is verses 5 through 11. Christ's exaltation, he's exalted, he comes down in his humiliation, and then he's exalted to the right hand of the Father in super exaltation. He died for you and me. He died for the church. And we need to have an interest in the church that's prompted by that sacrifice. We are, as the old children's song goes, his hands and his having an interest in others Paul said Christ preached to the church at Ephesus in Ephesians 2 anybody go to the Bible class that told you when Christ went to Ephesus well he didn't really go physically to Ephesus he came through the preaching ministry of Paul to Ephesus so when I preach Christ is working in your heart through the word of God when you hear sermons well guess what when you serve other people you're Jesus to people Bringing the interest of Christ is to go and to live as Christ in people's lives. To live as Christ. You know, um, Pastor Randy Carlberg's going to, I don't know, he'll lecture me and I'll give me a hard time for this. And I'm sorry, um, publicly apologize. You weren't in first hour, I already went there. But I, I was able to um, enjoy um, his son life carlberg one of his children i walked into the dorm where he's a spiritual leader there an ra and uh he didn't know i was there i didn't tell him i was coming i asked where he was i used to be responsible for that dormitory where he is a student leader and so i knew my way around walked into the bathroom where he was shaving and said hey how you doing life <laughs> what's going on what's up here's some pastoral accountability nice to see you so we had some good time together in fellowship but what was Most notable to me about him there, as with other students, Jordan Edwards and others, was life has a reputation that other people, um, you know, even the leaders of the college were talking about. He's remarkable. He's a godly man. I'll stop. But, I won't stop at this. Just like with Holly Cobb, I mean, Randy and Lana as parents invested in life But they would be the first to say whether it was grandparents, siblings, um, teachers, coaches, friends, Grace Christian School, Anchorage Grace Church. This is our investment. And that's one place where our investment all the way up here in the circumpolar is reaching down there. Other situations, other relationships. People come here and they grow and then they go. And that is how Christian... Life sprouts up around the world. It's the invisible advancement of the kingdom of God. We're not just trying to house people here. We're trying to see people grow here and go out there and spread around. And so your hands and your feet go with people who go and who grow. That's what it's about. It's uh, Timothy's selflessness that made him a sacrificial servant which made him valuable look at verse 22 verse 22 but you know timothy's proven worth how as a son with a father he served with me in the gospel timothy had proven worth that's the picture of the refiner's fire where the gold goes through the fire and the impurities rise to the surface and are scraped away and you have proven worthy valuable gold metal It's the richness of trials where the character is built. Nobody promised uh, you or me a cushy Christian life, that once we got saved, life wouldn't get hard. Jesus said, look, they persecuted me as the master. They'll persecute you as servants. It's promised in James and First and 2 Peter that we will suffer, that we'll go through hard times. But guess what? If you go through hard times and have the character of Christ, you will emerge as a valuable tool in God's hands to build other people up. And that's who Timothy was. He was valuable. He had come through the refiner's fire, so much so that Paul loved him like a son. He had complete trust in Timothy. He knew that the job would get done. And this apprentice relationship like that would happen back in ancient times and happens around the world, even in America, where fathers or mothers teach their children a trade is the metaphor at work here. And Paul is saying, look, Timothy is like my son who watched me, you know, bang metal over the anvil. He learned from me how to minister the gospel and live through adversity and thrive through adversity. That's what he's saying. He's like a son to me. I love him intimately in this way. Well, verse 23 says, I hope therefore to send him just as soon as I see how it will go for me. You know why it was hard for, Tim, for Paul to send Timothy? Because Paul not only looked at him as a son, he looked at Timothy as a co-laborer. Literally, back up in verse 22, it says, He served with me in the gospel. That word served is doulos. Literally, you could rephrase it like this. Timothy was like a co-slave. We were in the foxhole together. We are in the foxhole together. Slaving for the gospel. We've renounced our rights, and we're on mission. The bullets are flying around. We're in Afghanistan or Iraq together on the front lines of ministry, which is what it means to be a Christian in the church. If you're away from the church, if you're distant from the church in your heart or physically or otherwise, you're away from the battle. But if you want battlefront ministry, which is the normal version of the Christian life, you've got to be engaged like this. He's saying, Timothy was engaged. It wasn't just that he signed up, you know, to serve in a ministry program at a church. No, the intensity of the word here is he slaved with me. It's not that just he served under me. That would have been the way we would have expected to have read this, but it's that he slaved with me. He's a co-laborer with me in the fight. So again, it was hard for Paul to send Timothy. Because Timothy sustained Paul, at least humanly speaking, in the ministry. We see this in verses 23 and 24 as we wrap up. We know that Paul was sustained by Christ. So I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me in Philippians 4. We know that his ultimate source of endurance and perseverance was Christ. But Paul is saying that Timothy's friendship meant a lot to him. So much so that he was very careful as to when to send him. He's ending in the way that he began. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. Verse 19 said, I hope to send him. I hope in the Lord Jesus. Verse 24, look at this. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. Paul is very prayerful in this decision. I'll tell you why. Timothy meant the world to him in terms of a relationship, but Timothy was also the future leader of the church. And so if Paul was going to die, he wanted to make sure that he made his full and final investment in his son in the faith before that happened. We know historically that he didn't die at this point in Rome. He dies later on when he 's released, and then he goes back and Second Timothy four talks in the same language as Paul is talking in verse seventeen. Remember this, if I am poor if i 'm to be poured out as a drink offering that 's the idea of uh, the priest sacri- making the primary sacrifice, which is you know burning meat and flesh on the altar, but then he would pour a libation offering, or he would pour wine over the burning sacrifice where the wine would turn into mist and give a symbol of the Lord receiving that unto himself. Paul said, look, if that's about to happen, if I'm about to die, I need to figure that out before I send him. But, I, but he's a man of action. He wants to send him. He wants his heart to go. He wants this for the church. But he wants to protect and preserve his opportunity to invest in his son. How do you work through something like that? When you come to a fork in the road, how do you discern the will of God? Look what he did. He looked up to God. He said, I trust in the Lord, verse 24. I hope, therefore, to send him, verse 19, I I hope in the Lord Jesus. The power of the Christian life is trusting the sovereignty of God. And we don't have direct revelation from him in our decisions, but we do have the revelation of God. And as your heart enmeshes with the desires of God's heart from the word, you can discern what you think is best in terms of timing, in terms of the decision. And because Paul shared the interest of Christ and Timothy shared the interest of Christ, he ultimately trusted God and sent his son in the faith, Timothy, Timothy, you know, it's important for us to learn about these men and the women of the Bible. At this point, these men, Timothy and Epaphroditus, you know why? Because they were frontline Christians. They were the special forces men in the battle, in the scrum, in the fight. And when you begin to believe that normal Christianity doesn't look like this, it's easy for things to become calm and easy and self-focused and anxious-filled in our lives, isn't it? But when you become self-sacrificial, when you slave for the gospel, when you become other-centered, when you put yourself on the front lines for Christian service, when you get out of your comfort zone and enter into the fight, into the battle, that's when Christianity is vibrant and vital. And that's when the investment goes worldwide. So find your Paul, Pray for someone to invest in you and find your Timothy or Timothys. Find ways to advance the gospel through people. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time where we can look at the life of Timothy and for next time when we will look at the life of Epaphroditus. I pray, Lord, that we would be enriched by these inspired living examples to us. These were real people in real time in history who fought the good fight, and who worked out their own salvation with fear and trembling. I pray, dear Lord, that you would grow us in grace, and Lord, that we could be gospel-centered, and Lord, that we could see an investment come to full fruition, maybe even in our lifetime, as we invest the gospel in other people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, I want to thank you for uh, this morning. I want to ask uh, Pastor Randy Carlberg, since I've put him front and center in the sermon, to come up and close us in a word of prayer. Um, As he comes, I want to mention to you if you need prayer or if you need Christ, if, you know, in a crowd this size you don't know Christ yet, I want to know that. We want to know that, we want to pray with you. I invite you to stay after and participate in the fellowship and food on the table. Randy, pray.
1: Pray with me if you would. Our Father God, we are so thankful for those people in our lives that you place, that point us to you, that encourage us to walk with you, that challenge us to follow hard after you. I pray, God, that you would help us to be open and sensitive to those people that you have placed in our lives. and I pray, God, that you would help us to be obedient, to be those people in the lives of those that you bring our way. May we be concerned with the needs of others as more important than our own. May we be about being a blessing to those that you bring into our lives. And may we do it for one reason and one reason only, for your honor and glory. Thanks for this challenge. Pray, God, you'd use it this week in our hearts and minds that we may be more like the people you call us to be. We love you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.